0: Hey everyone, this is Jamie Aulabach coming at you from the Peppered Podcast where I bring seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals. So when I first introduced this podcast, I made a promise uh, that I would bring information to you, tangible, practical information and insights that you can immediately put into practice in your day-to-day marketing and management of your food and beverage brand. Uh, that I would bring major influencers, movers and shakers, people in this business that really have been around and they know and they can impact your brand and give you the insights to move forward this is one of those days where i'm happy to say i'm over delivering on that promise so today i have with me uh jeff martin jeff welcome to the show
1: good to be here jamie
0: great to have you so a little bit about Jeff. So Jeff is a, a senior level uh, executive in the food industry with nearly 40 years experience. Uh, he's a keynote speaker and consultant. And what I love about Jeff is he's been on both the retail side and the brand side of sales and marketing, which is just an awesome resource to be able to talk and the insights that he has. So most recently, Jeff was executive VP of sales and marketing at Utz Quality Food. But a lot of people, you know, I know, I used to think of, hey, us is this, this small Pennsylvania snack brand. You know, great. I had them when I was a kid. But actually, they are over a billion dollar brand now. They're the largest privately held snack company in the United States. That's huge. Uh, prior to us, Jeff was Executive Vice President of Merchandising and Marketing for Ahold USA, a $25 billion grocery retailer that I'm sure you all know about. Jeff, I'm super excited to have you here on the show. And you know what? Let's dive right into the questions because I've got some, I got some real barn burners here. And I think you're going to bring some great insights to this. So The first question is, What do you think is one of the biggest challenges facing CPG food brands today? You know, in other words, innovation is hot, reaching millennials is hot, uh, this better for you eating trends, clean label. Um, online purchasing like Amazon. I mean, it's just, it's it's crazy for brands. And then, of course, social media. So many brands are struggling to, to find their voice and connect with consumers on social media. So what do you think in your experience and where you're at, and when you look at brands right now, what do you think is one of the biggest, and it doesn't have to be one, maybe it's two. What do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing brands right now?
1: You know, I see two areas, Jamie, that, that I think, Uh, CPG companies are facing today, the first one that I think is really, really hard is innovation. You know, in that innovation space, if you look around at the top growing brands so far in the last two years, most of them are single item brands that have exploded in the marketplace because there's, in my opinion, really a lack of innovation in the big CPG brands. Mm-hmm, right. You have to take care of your legacy business. You have to put a lot of your resources toward those brands to keep them it's relevant. It's your bread and butter. It is your bread and butter. So you have to make sure that you're really focused on driving your base business. Shareholders aren't going to give you a pass on not investing in those brands and returning. And the innovation, in my mind, sometimes gets pushed to the side in favor of a few projects or brand extensions.
0: Yeah, which is why I think sometimes you see—not sometimes, almost all the times—you see some of these big corporations they're buying and acquiring these smaller brands that are innovating because they can't keep up with that with that track.
1: That's true, and so you, you see it in the in the uh, industry today where they're buying the experience—not only the innovation experience, but the innovative brands because. Really, some of the legacy uh, CPG companies, I don't think, have the internal wherewithal to have that same type of innovation as some of the new marketers yep, that are bringing stuff to the table. The second part of that, really, in my opinion, is private label. Mm-hmm. So if you look <laughs> at <laughs> <laughs> private label, yep, you, well, if, you right. if you look at private label, I mean, what's the number one attack for a brand? You know, every retailer in the United States has made you know pretty strong claims about their private label business. Most of them have taken and brought three or four tiers. A lot of them have natural and organic products that they branded within their stores. You know, in our, my all-hold experience, we had three main tiers, guaranteed value, our NBE tier, and we had a, a premium tier, And in addition to that, we also uh, brought Nature's Promise in, which became a huge brand in the business.
0: Growing like crazy, too. Yeah,
1: and all that was focused on was going after the branded business that was in the aisle to take over a significant portion of the branded sales. So while they're out innovating, their base business that they have to protect is under attack by the very people that you're trying to sell to. So it's really, really hard, in my opinion, for the CPG companies to get investment in innovation while retailers are attacking them with private labels. They're getting pinched from both yeah. sides. And
0: you know what I've seen from from brands? I've seen them going down, um, you know, one of three tracks with this private label. One is, you know, some of these companies are just saying, you know what, we have got to – Be a provider of the private label brand to these companies because it's, you know, it helps our bottom line. We can produce more product for them. And then a lot of them get sucked into that, taking resources. They're competing against themselves. Uh, Other brands say, you know what? Heck with that. We are not going to sell our souls for private label. We're not going to do it. And then others have a balance of that. What would you say is a good percentage? For say a good manufacturer that's out there and they've got a good solid brand, but maybe they want to do some private label. What's a, what's a good good ratio? Is it like you know eighty percent of your revenue brand, twenty percent private label? What do you think is a good formula for that?
1: I actually think it's probably more a discussion around strategy. Mm. So you know you could have a percentage that fluctuates by business. But I think it's really about what's your strategy. Is. It relates to partnering with or working with retailers to put together their private label strategy. It may help protect your brands, and it may actually accelerate your brands. In some cases, it may help your production capability. There's a lot of strategic reasons to consider that. In some cases, there's no strategy at all. You just you want to protect your brand, and you don't want to be in the private label business. Oreos doesn't want to – Nabisco doesn't want to make right. Oreos. yeah. You know, for any any customer, they're going to protect the the flavor profile and that, that product. So I think it's a strategy discussion more than a percentage Good discussion. Good point.
0: So innovation and private label, two, two major uh, challenges facing CPG brands now. Let's move on. Um, what are your thoughts when it comes to the consolidation of brands in the food and beverage space? Um, you know, when you look at major food companies buying up all the small to midsize brands, um, and the same thing really happening on, on the retail side, your former alma mater, you know, you know merging with Delhays, and now you got this this behemoth going on. So you got it happening on the retail side, you have it on the brand side. I mean, what I've seen on, on the marketing side of things is where, you know, where 10, 15 years ago, you know, we would have a, you know, a laundry list of brands that are nice, mid-sized brands in that you know, 500 million to billion dollar mark that are spending, you know, on their brand and and their great brand partners, they're all getting gobbled up. And the same challenge to be for brands that are, you know, getting into retailers 10, 15 years ago, you could walk, you know, drive down the street and walk into your local supermarket and say, hey, I've got this great product I want to sell. You know, now you're, you're getting on a plane and you might have 15 minutes with the buyer. What, what are your thoughts on this, this overall consolidation, both on the brand side and the retail side?
1: You know, talking back about the innovation conversation, I think that what CPG companies have recognized is to accelerate innovation or to keep pace with category growth, they need to buy their way into that innovation. So in a lot of cases, they're either buying themselves into a space like snack foods, which I just read an article the other day that the global snack food market is going to grow by 6% over the next 10 years, it's a pretty attractive place to be. There's billions of dollars of sales there. So if you're not in the snack space, you certainly want to be there. Right. And then for the rest of the companies, it's how do I accelerate myself into a place where I can keep pace with the competition? Because if I don't have that capability or I'm not very innovative, the number one way to get yourself there is to buy your way into that innovation mm-hmm. and add that brand. So I think you see CEOs today saying, I can't wait three or four years to develop something that knocks off this product. I need to get into that space today because it's hot and I'm letting money on the table if I don't get in the category. So I really think that's what people are thinking about, is how do I accelerate my growth
0: in that space? Yep, yep. Hey, so in regard to consolidation, uh, Jeff, again, I mean, do you think smaller brands can succeed uh, at the end of the day in in today's market? I mean, or do you just think... All of these brands that are coming in and starting up, do you think it's just their end goal that, hey, we want to get to a certain size and sell? I mean, can they, can they succeed? I mean, can they afford slotting fees? Can they afford to uh, invest in their brand? What's it take for these small to mid size brands to make it, and can they make it? Or is it just this, this game of let's start something and sell it?
1: Yeah, I think you know, I think that's there is a game out there for that. I mean, if you look at the multiples that have been paid for some of these companies in the you know, the seven to ten to twelve times EBITDA range, certainly it's attractive to small brands to grow to a certain size and sell. That business is not going to go away. That's the innovation side of buying into this cycle that I talked about earlier. But I do think there's still an opportunity for smaller brands to grow and succeed in this space. Why? The millennial customer demands it in the supermarket today. They love differentiated products. They want a certain type of product today. Big companies have struggled to provide those fast enough. And I think to have the mindset to really align with that consumer, that changing demographic today, and the way that people eat, the way that people shop, there's really a driving force for change in the supermarket business. And a lot of the big supermarket operators haven't kept pace with that in either private label or the CPG companies in the branded business. So there is a wide open space, the Wild West, if you will, for innovative brands to grow. So I think they can right. succeed.
0: You know, that's, that's a, that is that's a great point. I mean, millennials, you know, they love that individual um, style of brand. So, I mean, they, they connect more with, with these smaller brands, these unique brands, these brands that kind of speak to that whole millennial persona. So I think, I think you're right. There is a market out there for that. And and I think you're going to see more and more of these boutique brands out there. And as they get, you know, momentum, they're going to they're gonna grow. And hopefully, hopefully <laughs> a lot of them will stick around instead <laughs> of just selling.
1: Well, I think that, you know, that's two sides to that coin, too, because I think that gives an opportunity for some legacy brands. That may have died a long time ago or slowed down a long time ago, to to have a re, a, a reemergence, if you will. I mean, you look at Paps Blue Ribbon; it almost completely wiped off the map until a couple of years ago, and really became sort of a closet brand that was reinvigorated under that whole Millennial Tower. That same side for the new brand. So there's a you know there's a game to be played on each side of that that I think the industry'd be smart not to. Not to ignore.
0: Yeah, and that, that it is another great point with um, with legacy brands that you know if they can adapt their messaging and get out there and connect with a newer generation, they see incredible growth. I mean we saw it, we did it with with Stakem, you know, an older brand from the 70s and 80s that people of our age, you know, in their 50s, we we remember the brand because it was it was a household brand, but it was it was not a known brand. And we relaunched that with, you know, with a whole new brand, brand persona and dynamic, and connected with with these millennials, and it's just going through the roof in growth. So, yeah, I think I think both sides of that—the new, innovative, smaller brands—and then the legacy brands, kind of kind of readdressing their brand. Um, hey, let's shift gears a little bit. What are your thoughts on ROI marketing and the impact that it's had on brands? You know, for the past 10, 15 years or so, this has been one of the driving KPIs for marketing and advertising as far as tactics that they use. And it's like, okay, we can't do this if it doesn't have this level of ROI. Do you feel that that's helping or hurting brands?
1: You know, I th- overall, I think it hurts brands. To be honest with you, as most marketers that have spent any time in the space realize marketing is, is a long road. and It takes time to develop, first off, you know, your brand presence, your brand voice, the brand personality with the consumer. Those things generally don't light up overnight. They take time and they take a lot of different approaches to be able to do it successfully. And I think if you try to uh, look at a lot of um cfos today that might put pressure on marketers Mm -hmm. for some sort of a defined return on their investment that is not going to be seen in a lot of cases for years down the road and in some cases you can ride that top wave where your spend can be actually maybe even reduced on some successful brands in favor of other brands in a portfolio but to get that brand to that place you got to invest and the returns aren't always immediate so from my point of view I think it's hurt brands in some cases because they focused a little too much on that. Um, I I think there's a balance. Stupid spending isn't good. Balanced spending in a good portfolio is right. And in my opinion, finding a good partner in the advertising space that can help you advertise and market and spend your money effectively is pretty important today because internal marketing departments don't have the breadth and the knowledge and the, the exposure all kind of different brands in the marketplace to really help make that balance. So I think you have to really work together to find the right the right uh Yeah you formula. won't get an
0: argument for me there, that's <laughs> for sure. But you know I, I, I think we're seeing a resurgence of brand advertising. I mean years ago it was you know if you went into went into a a, a company and, and you did a pitch and you were really focused around you know brand and building the brand and brand awareness and all this you know, they tell you to hit the road because it's, you know, they're all about this. Boy, it's got to have that. I got to know where every dollar is going and what I'm getting back from that. And I wrote I wrote an article uh, last year and it's called is ROI killing your brand. And And I agree that 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 mindset, if that consume, if that surrounds and consumes your brand managers to the point where they don't want to recommend, you uh, Planning and strategy and tactics that are going to build the brand. If they're so focused on everything has to have this immediate ROI, their brand is going to die a slow and painful death. I mean, I think that there is absolutely room for a healthy balance to say, okay, you know, we want to put, you know, seventy percent of our of our our budget, our investment dollars towards, you know, building our brand, and we want to put, you know, thirty percent or so between these ROI tactics. Um, that that seems like a healthy balance to me because you don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But when those, when that mindset starts driving your strategy, you're destined for trouble. And it might not happen in the short term, but it'll definitely happen in the long term.
1: This is one of these spaces where I think fail fast has a uh, real application. You got to test and try things and you got you to say, you know what, some of them are going to work and some of them aren't. That's why a good yin and yang between a good marketing partner and an agency with with that business or that brand is really good because you can decide to stomp and move on to something else where if you allow yourself just to work internally, you'll keep convincing yourself this is the right strategy and probably overspend on something. So having a good fail-fast policy Mm -hmm. here, too, is is important.
0: Yeah, agreed. Agreed. A nice balance does it. All right. So shifting gears uh, again a little bit. Um, in, in a totally different conversation, how are brands able to fight the trade program requirements uh, that that so many brands um, seem th- that they just get bullied by retailers in, into doing? And what I find is, you know, from my position, is you have that dynamic between you know the sales team wanting to drive these trade programs and invest and say, why would you want to spend? on brand advertising when I can put that money to work in store. And then you've got the brand people saying, why are we spending so much money on these trade programs when we could be building our brand? And and you got that that classic conflict going on between the two. And then, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the the, the, the retailers are, are are getting a big slice of the pie and then and, and brand is getting, you know, a slice of the pie. But how do you avoid that trap of say overspending on the trade side because we see it as a common problem and brands come to us and say that hey we we're spending too much but it's so hard for us to get out of that um i mean you you would know i mean you've been on both sides right Uh, of
1: exactly right i mean if, if you think about it um the cpg companies have got just as smart as the retailers think they have got on this this whole trade discussion first off there's not just one bucket of trade out there that gets applied to any retail business or to any brand. And I think retailers sometimes fool themselves into believing they have all the power. When in the background, the CPG companies can make decisions on how and what they're going to spend on brands. I think the smart retailers today have realized that if they work in partnership with the CPG company and they work for the brand portfolio goals of the brand manager at the Mm -hmm. CPG company, And the brand managers have realized if they work in partnership with retailers on their card marketing or loyalty programs, that together they can put together a better program that's not focused just on the brand. So it really takes a balance between the real smart retailers that have figured out how to make sure they're utilizing the various buckets that these companies make available. Because think about the innovation conversation. Rest assured, there's a bucket of test and learn funds. And if you're in a situation where you're you're overspending with a certain uh, retailer, the CPG company is not going to spend test and learn funds with somebody that they're not happy with the return on. Those things are going to go to places where they can test them and get a result, make good decisions on where they want to go with a product long before they start to show that stuff to the company that's going to reach deep into their pocket. So, you know, In my opinion, I think the smartest retailers out there, the smartest uh, marketers out there are really trying to understand the goals of the CPG company and align those goals with the goals of the retailer in the category and focus on the consumer. This this whole conversation has shifted years ago from category management to customer management. And those companies that have made that shift are winning in the space and are winning with CPG companies in trade, too.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense, because at the end of the day, it's all about moving product off the shelf and getting people to buy. And I think one of the problems and I mean, this was a problem um, at us that we often talked about with you was that consumers get addicted if your product is on deal all the time and they won't buy you if you're not on deal, you get programmed that every week, if I come in there and see that, you know, buy two bags of chips for five bucks. If I don't see that next week, you know, I might look to the other brand that has, Hey, buy two bags for five bucks. And that's, that's, that's a problem, isn't it? Because you dilute, you dilute your brand when you build that mentality of, It's got to be on deal or I'm not going to buy it.
1: Well, you just look at the return on investment on your promotional spend, and you'll see real quick in a lot of those cases where you're spending categories foolishly, that you're getting really, really terrible returns. And those folks that have understood how to price and optimize promotion in the category are outperforming you in the marketplace. They're making more money in the category. They're probably driving their sales better, and they're doing a better job of spending their trade with the retailer. So... This is one of these spaces where CPG companies should be spending time, money, and energy to really put in the right price and promotional optimization software so they can plan better with retailers and spend more effectively.
0: Right, right. Do you think that there's some kind of um, a formula or planning that brands can do to say, okay, I want to pull back X percentage from my trade program and reinvest that in advertising. I mean, does that, does that make sense? I mean, is there a formula or is it just different for every brand that's out there?
1: I think it's a real conversation between the retailer and the CPG company to look at category growth and sales and profitability. And I think you can do that. You need to make a commitment to that retailer that you're going to deliver the kind of sales that they expect in the category and the kind of profit they, that they expect and if you can reallocate those funds together to get to that result, that's great. You just got to be pre- prepared to pony it up at the end if you don't or change course through the process. But the only way for that to happen is to really sit down and really have a, a real deep collaboration in the category with the retailer. And not only think about your brands in the category, but think about the entire category. Those are the people that are winning at retail.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I've, I've been to... I'm not going to say many, but I've been to several meetings over the years where you've got a table of people. We're meeting at the retailers, you've got the brand side, you've got the agency partner, you've got the buyers there, you've got the retail marketing people there and other key executives. And what a great conversation that is, because you know we're all working together to sell product, to build a brand, to, and we're working, we're working in, in unity to, to make this happen. And it's always amazing to me the points of views that you hear from different people because if you allow that dialogue just to happen one-on-one with the sales guys and buyers or just one-on-one with the, with the agency and the, and the marketing team – or the executives just talking amongst themselves. You're all you're all talking in silos and nothing really ever gets done. But if you can get to the table and really talk strategy and planning together, boy that opens up a whole whole new world.
1: It does, and that's why I'm a strong believer in the category business planning process to really sit down and go through the category reviews of the big categories that matter at retail and bring those parties together and create a business plan that works for the category. And then have the wherewithal to check in throughout the course of the year and make those corrections that you need to. If you stay disciplined, you stay on plan, you don't leave it to chance. You generally win.
0: Great. Hey, let's stay on this, this retail side for a second. So with you have being on the retail and the brand side of things, what do you think are some key elements beyond just the sales data or velocity forecasts? Everybody brings those to the table. Um, what do you think are some of the key elements that brands can bring to the presentation that's really going to work for the retailers that the retailer is going to look at and say wow you know I don't have other brands that are bringing this type of information to me or this type of strategy or this type of plans what can brands do to differentiate themselves because we know that this is you know, you walk into a buyer and you've got, you know, 15 minutes. And I, and I think this is how I digress this, this way over the years because these guys don't want to sit there and look at 50-page PowerPoints of just slides and data. They don't want to see it. So I'll give them 15 minutes and they can just cut to the chase. But, I mean, it's all about bringing value, right?
1: Yeah, it is. And I think that the first place to start is to really, you know, most CPG companies, as they're doing brand research, Are really focusing a lot on the ultimate consumer the person that buys the product at retail bringing that information to the retailer in the process and really sharing with them the insights that you gained on why this product matters to the customer helps the retailer understand your positioning right up front so being really really clear and really transparent about what you're doing Sure, is there risk there? A lot of C- CPG companies say, well, man, if we give them all this information, they're just going to create a private label and take over the category. <laughs> <All right>. Sure, <laughs> you know what, there is that risk. But I think the other side of that equation is, is when a CPG company spends as much time learning about the retailer and their category, their positioning in price, in promotion, product, the depth of the category at retail, and they, they mirror their own internal customer work with the retailer work and they bring a solution for the category, that's a real differentiator for those companies that are willing to do that. And there's those companies out there. I mean, A good example, back in my day we had a great collaborative process with General Mills where they really worked with our category business planning process and brought a lot of insights and data not only on the consumer but on our positioning in the marketplace which helped us make better decisions for the category overall. I think the second part of that, that we're, where they can really be a help is in the innovation process. So how can CPG companies collaborate with key retail partners up front to get the deep insights that the retailer has in consumer data? How's the consumer shopping in the category? Are they brand switching often on promotion? What, what items are winning within the category? What are the legacy brands that are still strong and where is the category dying or falling off? That can help CPG companies also in the innovation conversation, bring the right product and the right packaging at the right price point and at the right size so that they have greater success when they bring product to retail. We had a great collaboration with Nabisco back in the day when they were working on Belvita. And really and truly, some of that feedback, I think, really helped them understand how to properly position that product on a go-forward basis. So. I think really the consumer data linked to the retailer information and strategy and the whole innovation conversation with a good partnership with some key retailers is a place where they can really have an impact.
0: yeah, that's great insight and, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but when we're talking retailers who who out there do you think is really doing it right when it comes to uh, retailers saying, "Hey, look, we want to partner with brands. We want to bring them in. We want to allow the data and the insights that we've gathered on our customers help you sell more brands." Who who do you think is really doing that right, and why?
1: You know, I think it's probably there's there's a few folks out there that I think have a clear line of sight into what their strategy is. You know, if you look at somebody like Wegmans, for example, I mean, I'm a big fan of what the Wegmans folks have done, and I think you know, Danny and Colleen and the team there really understand the positioning of their brand in the store. And I think they have understood, you know, while they've really done an unbelievable job in Fresh, they have come to the realization that brands play an important role in their center store. And I think they've evolved over time to make sure that brands play a more important role in their business. You know, I think you see the The flip-flop of Walmart back and forth with brands in and out and in and out of brands. But I think they also have figured out that brands are pretty important to their business. Strategically, I mean, from my point of view, I think that a place like Costco with limited SKUs and limited assortment, although they've uh, done an unbelievable job with Kirkland, they also are a great place for brands to become extremely dominant. Yeah, I agree. So they they find the right brand, the right niche, and they light it up. I mean, when they're going to grow a brand because it has had success, they can do it very quickly, and companies can scale there very quickly. So, I mean, there's a few folks out there that I think are really, really focused on that right balance between private label and, and brand, and I think that Those companies that did what we did at Ahold, which was to find um, the answer to what the consumer wants, to make sure that you're taking the customer point of view into the equation all the time, don't allow that switch too far to one side or the other, where you find the right balance between a good private label portfolio and tiers. And an importance of brands to consumers who want to purchase items across a broad spectrum in the category.
0: Right, right. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges in that respect right now with retailers is if you look back, you know, five, ten years ago, uh, brands really needed to, to go to the retailer and say, hey, you know, what kind of programs can we put together that tap into your customer your customers the customer loyalty data can we can we reach them via email can we do you know targeted media towards them social media you know targeted ads what are some things we can do to reach them and you really needed the retail partner back then to help you with that because they had the insights and what's happening now today what's happened now today is you don't need that anymore because you can all of that data is readily available for brands. I mean, you can get to their customers. You can target geographically, you know, geo-targeting around their their stores. You can do there's very little that that a retailer can bring to the table as far as data and reaching their customers you don't have access to. So really the question then becomes if they're not willing to work with you and really want to be a willing partner, then you have other resources. And and I think also what happened is that they really turned those those media pieces really turned into a revenue source for the retailers. And now they're starting to see a little bit of that slip away because of the amount of data that's out there, you know, when you're able to to get data from, you know, Facebook and Google and, and all these data behemoths and, and working with companies like News America who have access to all of that stuff. It's a way, way different playing field right now than it was even two, three, four years ago.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with that. I, I would say this, though, the, you know, I've always seen it as a three-legged stool. There's always been the CPG company side of the equation, their consumer research, and their ability to look into the market. The dynamic that you just spoke of, which is the external data sources, it's just not IRI and Nielsen anymore. There's an unlimited amount of data to be gathered in that second leg of the stool. The third leg of the stool and where there is real power to bring all these together is in the purchase behavior of the consumer at the retailer, driven by their strategy and I think the retailers that realize that and that are partnering with the CPG companies to mine that external data and compare that data to their internal data are really understanding how to change consumer behavior at retail. That three-legged stool I think is still very relevant today.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. So let's shift back over real quick to to the brand side of things. And we talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but if you were to give, you know, one or two pieces of advice to a brand manager today, any type of brand manager, whether it's you know in the snack category, you know protein, you know f- whatever, um, what would you say to them? More innovation, more research, more shelf presence, more merchandise. I mean, you know, I've worked on projects over the years that have transformed brands, you know, from a, from a packaging perspective to to just an overall brand messaging. But if you if you had to give Brand managers today, you know, one or two key pieces of advice for driving more success, what would it be?
1: You know, I think the first thing is you need you need to have a voice somewhere that's constantly challenging you to look at what you're doing with your brands. So I think the real key and important thing is make sure that you have a trusted partner out there somewhere that's giving you feedback on what you're doing on the brand. My personal opinion is those brand managers – that reach out to either their um, partners in the supply space that may be bringing them raw materials to understand what's happening in that market, or more particularly to retailers where they can get real feedback about what their brands are doing in store, can make those course corrections on a brand over time. You know, you don't wanna knee jerk any one brand. You don't wanna change things so radically that you take the customer out of the game. But you have to make sure that you're understanding what's happening in the marketplace and you're out in front of it enough to make change. Change is constant. I think the other thing that I would, would challenge brand managers to do is to make sure they're understanding what they're doing with their trade spend and how, where they're applying their resources and how, and making sure that the trade that they are spending is being effective at retail. I think sometimes brands just spend ir- irregardless because either someone else in the category is, or is doing it or they think they need to do it because the retailer demands it from right. them. You've got to make promotion really, really, really effective. And then don't starve the innovation conversation. Be mm-hmm. wide open. Make sure that your resources inside have enough um, um, marketing and external research going on to make sure you can stay ahead of trends. The only reason some of these small brands are killing it is because some big brand missed the opportunity. You got to make sure you're getting that feedback to be able to jump in on the innovation quickly.
0: What's, what's one or two brands in your mind today that's really killing it? They're really doing a great job. Doesn't have to be a big brand, could be a small brand or emerging brand, but who do you, you think is doing a great job across the board?
1: But wouldn't you like to have been the person that developed Halo Top?
0: Oh, yeah. How about
1: that? I mean, what's the number? I saw $335 million out of nowhere in just a short amount of time. I mean, they're the darling of the, the category growth. You talk about understanding consumer need. And jumping who, who,
0: who in their wildest dreams would have ever thought that type of product would take off? Even in C-stores, you're seeing it. But, you know, it crosses every line of taboo that you, you ever thought possible. It's like, you know, it talks about being a diet product right on the packaging, which was always, you know, t- you know, oh, boy, it must taste bad if, if it's that. But they, they have somehow tapped into something
1: they've hit it all right they hit the customer desire for indulgence it's still out there if these people are they're, they're still eating um you know regular ice cream i'm sure at times but if you want a frozen treat and you want to feel good about it they've tapped into that and it's cool right if you can tell the girls at the yoga class that you're you know, you're having a halo top at night, you're kind of trendy, and you're into something that's better for you and protein-laden right. and all that stuff, right? But they listen to the consumer, they found the trend, they found the niche, and they jumped on it. You know, mm-hmm. there's another example out there that that I think is really good, and that's kind. I mean, look at what they've been yep, able to do with... One. I mean, just an explosion of, you know, taking to the consumer something really relevant, and... and Kind of nichey, Fill, filling that gap between trail mix and granola bars, with with something that really was on the go and customers really really gravitated to it. It looks good, it eats good, the packaging is outstanding. I mean, they really really found a niche in between that you know grab and go category.
0: The kind brand reminds me a bit of of Starbucks. You know, they've got this cool hip brand. They they have like this feeling and this emotion behind the brand. And this started like at a grassroots effort right from the beginning. That's a great that's a great point, Jeff. They're doing a great they're leveraging their brand essence in their advertising. They they pull in that word "kind" into into everything. And who who doesn't want to be kind? I want to feel kind, like it's I'm exactly being kind. Right. So <laughs> I feel good when I'm eating their product. That's
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. And it just you know, one final prop to somebody big, and certainly they were a competitor to me in my in my past life, but. You know, give kudos to the free to lay folks for finding a way to, to involve the consumer in their products, right? Mm-hmm. The whole flavor thing, yeah, you yeah. know, name a flavor, come up with uh, the, the, the next flavor that we're going to try and then vote on it. They've really connected with the consumer in a way to make them part of their innovation process. And, you know, I think it was pretty, a pretty unique way for them to be able to keep, you know, potato chips, which, you know, are growing but aren't on fire – relevant in the consumer's mind is a great way to connect with. yeah it was it
0: was was a great campaign so hey jeff this has been a great show uh i appreciate you taking the time i've I've always valued your insights i i think you bring a lot to the table so hey before we sign off i i want you put put a plug in for your business because you're doing you're doing consulting right now and you're offering Uh, uh, Brands and retailers, you know, 40 years of 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 insights coming from both the retail and the brand side. Put a plug in, you know, name, website, all that kind of stuff. What are you doing?
1: Yeah, so uh, Martin Consulting LLC is what I'm doing these days. I'm really working with, uh, you know, a lot of brands, media companies, other folks in the space to try to understand how to apply their products, businesses, or programs to retail. So um, you know, I'm pretty selective about who I work with, but because it's only me. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, no real website design at this stage of the game, but uh, you know, people can find me through LinkedIn. Um, I do some keynote speaking, and uh, you know, just try to bring some insight on my experiences in the CPG business and at retail, uh, out of businesses that can help them grow with with retailers across the country. So anybody out there that needs a little help from an old supermarket guy be happy to uh <laughs> <laughs> look him
0: look him up on linkedin you won't you won't be disappointed well thanks again for coming uh this is jamie Alaback and with jeff martin uh, you've been listening to the peppered podcast where we have seasoned talk for food and beverage marketing and brand professionals let's grow your brand together